Please stand as you are able for the reading of the word. Today's scripture is from the Old Testament lesson from the book of Psalms, chapter 100. And this is a responsible reading today. You will read. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence to Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be Thank you, Fran, for leading us in our responsive scripture lesson this morning. And welcome to each of you. I want to add my word of greeting to that of Shelby Slowey. It is so good to be with you on this uh, Sunday, on the cusp of our Thanksgiving holidays. No doubt uh, many of you will be traveling and some of you will have folks traveling to you. And uh, we remember you in our prayers as you gather with friends and loved ones around the table. Uh, Now and then, not very often, but now and then uh, my wife will supply uh, certain content for my sermon, sometimes unwillingly uh, and sometimes willingly. Uh, Her hope is to never be uh, a sermon illustration, but she shared with, something, uh, shared with me something the other day that I thought may be of interest to you. Uh, she is an Irma Bombeck quote, uh, fan, and I think that this particular quote came from Mrs. Bombeck, and this is what it said. Thanksgiving dinners take 18 hours to prepare. They are consumed in 12 minutes. <laughs> Halftime takes 12 minutes. This is no coincidence. <laughs> now, I have no idea where she, why she shared that with me, but she shared it with me. And so I thought on your behalf, I might do a little research. And I've discovered with the three games that are happening on Thursday, uh, that there are three pivotal times for mealtime. Uh, 102 to 114 is the first time. 455 to 507 is another opening. And for late arrivers, 901 to 913, I would suggest to each of you. Uh, I think she gave it to me as a way of subtly saying there will be no football on Thursday in her house. And some of you ladies would say amen to that. I was having lunch with friends uh, just this week, uh, friends who are part of this church. In fact, they're here this morning. And during our time together, he was telling me about a particular luncheon. It was a rotary meeting that he had attended a while back where state representatives were invited. It uh, It was a big meeting. And before the meeting, before they had their meal together, they called on a state judge to have the blessing. I think he seemed a bit surprised by the invitation because he's not a pastor or a clergy person, but not wanting to seem unspiritual, he came to the podium, he came to the microphone, let us pray, he said, and with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is what he said, much obliged, Lord, amen. (laughs) My friend said, I've never forgotten it and I will never forget it. When he told me that story, I immediately thought of Meister Eckhart 
14th century German theologian and mystic of the church who said, and I quote, if the only prayer you ever pray in your whole life is thank you, that will suffice. Oh, I love that. I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I've discovered that gratitude is a mark of emotional intelligence. And I think the antithesis is also true. I think ingratitude is a sign of a lack of emotional intelligence, empathy, and compassion. I say that knowing full well as do you that we live in a culture of entitlement in which sometimes we mistakenly believe that our blessings are the result of our own goodness or our own hard work or our own merit, and frankly, it just isn't so. The truth is, as has been a part of our liturgy this morning, it's all a gift. It's all a gift. Every breath you draw, every beat of your heart, every second, every moment, every hour, every day, every age and every stage of life is a gift of God for which we gather together to say, much obliged, Lord. A book came out several years ago. I recommend it to you. I have a slide with the cover of this book. Dr. Ira Bayak wrote a book called The Four Things That Matter Most. He's a medical doctor and a leader in the field of palliative care. He says in this book that the four things that matter most can always be expressed in these words. I love you. Forgive me, I forgive you, and thanks. Thanks. That's interesting, friend. The psalm that you led us in a moment ago is frankly one of the best known songs in all the Hebrew hymn book. The middle section of your Bible is the Hebrew hymn book, the book of Psalms. There are 150 songs in the Hebrew hymn book, and this is one of the best-known psalms in the whole book. In fact, I think it's second to one other chapter in the book of Psalms. Would you guess which chapter that is? It's the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. But this is second in terms of its familiarity to the church. It's interesting because it's a call to worship, and whenever we worship together on Sunday mornings, we always begin with our call to worship, as Shelby led us in today. This is a call to worship. It's, it's an invitation to express our gratitude, our appreciation to God. It is also called by scholars an enthronement song. And there are eight of them between chapters 93 and 100 in the Hebrew hymn book. This is an enthronement song that conveys the conduct becoming of a servant who is entering the presence of a king. And this is how it begins. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks. Bless his name. Now, I think it's worth noting, if you'll note, I have italicized the first three words in the second line. It's worth noting that this invitation to praise and worship is utterly inclusive. 
In other words, it's not simply addressed to the Hebrew people. It's not addressed to an ethnic racial group of people. It's not given to Israel or Judah. It's not even limited to human creatures. But the invitation to praise is given to the entire environment, to the whole cosmos, to all the earth. In fact, Psalm 96 gets rather specific. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea, let the ocean roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything within it. And then all the trees of the forest, let them sing for joy to the Lord. You see the same thing in Psalm 98. Let the sea resound and everything in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. And then the conclusion of the Psalter, the last Psalm, chapter 150, verse 6, lest anyone or anything feel left out, he writes, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now, let me ask you to do something. I want you to take your left hand and place it on your pulse, on your right wrist. Would you do that for a moment? Just want to make sure everybody's with us this morning. You feel that? If you can feel a pulse, you are invited to worship this morning. Put your hand in front of your mouth, if you will. Anybody feel anything coming out? That's a good sign. There are doctors here in case. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Everything that exists, everything that is, is summoned to join in the song of praise and thanksgiving. This invitation to praise is utterly inclusive. The second thing to note in this invitation to praise is that it is instinctive. It's sometimes something you don't even think about. It's just there, there's, there's this praise that rises up in the heart. Research in the field of bioacoustics Did you know that's a thing, bioacoustics? Research shows that every day we're surrounded by millions of ultrasonic songs. For example, the electron shell of the carbon atom produces the same harmonic scale as the Gregorian chant. It's amazing. The song of the whale travels thousands of miles underwater. Meadowlarks have a range of 300 notes. Even earthworms make faint staccato sounds. A single hydrogen atom emits 100 frequencies. And that's more than a grand piano that emits 88 frequencies unless you have a Busendorfer that has 96 frequencies. Yeah, those eight notes are not on any other piano but the Busendorfer. And you can't tell. Those notes are so low. The frequency is so low, you can't tell, even if you have perfect pitch, what note is being played. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Dr. Lewis Thomas, who is the former dean of Yale Medical School, said, and I quote, listen to this, if we had better hearing and could discern the descant of seabirds, the rhythmic timpani of schools of sea mollusks, or even the distant harmonics of flies, 
hovering over meadows in the sun, the combined sound would blow your socks off. It would lift you off your feet. And I think that all of creation, all of creation is three-part harmony, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just as the Trinity sang every atom into existence, every atom echoes its unique praise back to God. Because creation itself is call and response. Let there be, and there is. Creation is invitation and praise. Let everything that has breath, it's instinctive. And so we, who are the humankind made in the image of God, a little lower than the angels, are implored to join in the doxology. You can't help yourself. It's instinctive. And then I want you to notice from this psalm that worship and praise is also instructive. Verse 3 implies that it's in our worship, get this, it's in our praise that we're actually able to discern who God is and who we are. As we come into the presence of God, we, watch this, know, we know that the Lord is God. We know that it is He that has made us and we're here. We know that we're His people and the sheep of His flock. What that means is that catechism begins in worship. Instruction begins with praise. Spiritual formation begins with the experience of adoration. I think this is what verse 5 gets to, that it's through adoration, through praise, that we come to a deeper understanding of the nature of God, that we begin to understand that the Lord is good, that His steadfast love endures forever, and that His faithfulness is to all generations from the GI generation to generation Z to generation Alpha. By the way, the word for knowing in the Hebrew, yada, suggests an intimate relationship. So that not only does God know us completely, but it's actually possible for us to know God. If you were here last week, we had this amazing day with our confirmands, 101 confirmands. And one of the last things that I said to our sixth graders is whatever you learn in your life, however you're instructed, you will never learn anything that's more important than what you already know. Jesus loves me, this I know. After the benediction, someone came up to me and said, I really appreciate what you said, but I would also say that I'm grateful for this. Jesus knows me, this I love. Don't you love that? to be known by God, even while in the womb. And if you know God and are known by God, it's going to be evident in the way that you live, in the way that I live, because gratitude, praise, always shows. It shows in the way that you work. It shows in the way that you pray. It shows in the way that you study. It shows in the way we raise our kids. It shows in the way we drive. 
Not getting many amens on that. It shows in the way we treat our neighbor. It shows in our attitude to whoever the other is. It shows, it always, it shows in the way that we share our gifts, our resources, our time and money. I was reading recently that in 2018, the average Christian, get this, the average Christian gives a little more than 2% of our income to God. And I was concerned about that. Our giving is a measure of our gratitude. Our giving is a measure of our appreciation. And if that's so, and it is, then I need to be intentional. We need to be intentional about giving our best to God. I'm not talking about the leftovers. I'm talking about the first fruits. And this is not a have to, it's a want to, it's not an obligation, it's a joy, it's a desire. Because if Jesus is Lord, then it ought to be apparent in every facet of my life, including the way I share. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but sometimes, sometimes we in the clergy almost apologize for inviting people to give. I don't understand that. Jesus never once apologized for that. Why? Because Jesus knows that generosity is a godly thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's an act of grace thing. And that's why the New Testament is full of stories like a little boy who gives his lunch a couple of fish and loaves to feed a multitude. That's why the New Testament is full of stories like a woman who breaks the most expensive jar of perfume and bathes the feet of Jesus before his burial. That's why stories like Barnabas, who who sold his real estate and gave the deed, gave the money to take care of the needy, it is a way of blessing God and meeting needs and freeing myself from the bondage of self-security and materialism. And so I'm never afraid to ask you to show your gratitude to God because it's another way, it's just another way of saying, much obliged, Lord. Worship and praise is not just 8.15 to 9.15 on Sunday. It's a way of living every hour, every moment in praise of God. Best definition I ever heard of worship was from Archbishop William Temple, who for many years was the Archbishop of Canterbury. Some of you have heard this before. It's a beautiful definition. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love the surrender of will to his purpose, all of this gathered up in adoration and gratitude, which is the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. It's beautiful. Actually, I've got one definition that's better than that. I asked one of our sixth graders prior to last week, why do we worship? Is it even important? And if so, why do we do it? And I loved her response. Lucy said, 
it is important, and she said, it's essential because it's our way of saying thanks. I opened the door and said to my assistant, send this girl to seminary. (laughs) Appoint her to the local church because she gets it. She gets it. And that's why every Sunday, we we can't stop every Sunday after we receive the offering, what do we do? We get up on our feet and we sing the old hundredth psalm. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Praise God, the source of all our gifts. Praise Jesus Christ whose power uplifts. Praise the Spirit, Holy Spirit, Alleluia. It's instructive. There's one other thing. Worship and praise is instinctive, inclusive, instructive, and also inspiring. You know what that word means, inspiration? It means to breathe life into. It's kind of like superficial rest. Not artificial, but supernatural respiration. It's like having life breathed into you. Praise regenerates. It rejuvenates. I was studying the other day this word worship, and I discovered in the Greek language a word that I never remember seeing before that is one of the words for worship. It is the word therapeo. Sound familiar? It means to cure. It means to heal. It means to restore. In fact, that's the origin of our word for therapy, of course. And it makes sense that when we come into the presence of God, when we praise and worship, when we give of ourselves, it's, it's, a, it's kind of like a therapeutic thing that happens in your heart. One of our men came to see me recently. He's been suffering from chronic pain. He's had a hard time. He said, Pastor, I came today because I want to confess that sometimes I don't even feel like coming to church. It's such an effort. But I have noticed, he said, that when I come, I actually feel better. And I wondered, maybe it's the music. Maybe it's the fellowship. Maybe it's the people. I'm sure it's not the preaching. Maybe it's the scripture. He didn't say, I don't know. But for him, what he was saying is, worship is therapeutic. I heard it again last week. One of our men who had been participating in Room at the End a couple of weeks ago came to me and he said, we had a guest this week who said to me, we love, I love coming to Brentwood. Homeless man, I love coming here. And my friend said to him, is it the food? Is, is it the bedding? Is it the space? He said, no, no, it's the people. I love coming because of the people. The greatest compliment that can ever be paid to a church is when a needy homeless stranger says, it's the people. It's therapeutic. When the Spirit of God gets into the people, it's therapeutic to the whole community to those who receive it, and especially those who give it. 
This is why Jesus said, look, where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm with you. In fact, we're in his presence right now. In the music, we feel the brush of angels' wings. In the prayers, we feel the consolation of the counselor. In the passing of the peace, we we feel the everlasting arms. In the scripture and proclamation, we feel the breath of God. In the offering, we feel the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And we come in broken and empty and weary and confused, and we walk out that door restored and reclothed in our right mind. And I wonder, how is that even possible? I'll tell you. It's in Psalm 23. God inhabits the praises of his people. He resides. He abides in us as we worship and adore his name. One final word. I remember an old Garrison Keeler story about a Thanksgiving in rural Minnesota. The extended family, he said, had gathered around the table, creaking under the weight of a turkey-centered feast. And then he said, as we were holding hands around the table, someone made the mistake of calling on Uncle John to say the blessing. They should have known, he said, that Uncle John can't pray without talking about the cross and without crying, and nothing made the family more uncomfortable than holding hands around a table while food's getting cold, listening to a grown man cry. He said, we all stared at the floor, shifting our weight from one foot to the other. And Keeler said, all of us knew that Jesus had died on the cross, but Uncle John had just never gotten over it. He just never got over it. And neither have I. I hope I never do. I hope you never do. I think that's why week after week, month after month, year after year, we've been coming to this place for 168 years so that we can say, much obliged, Lord, much obliged. May his praise be ever on your lips and always in our lives. In Jesus' name.